Hi there, I'm Heidi Higgins, and you are listening to K-12 on Learning. Planting a big red bow on a new pet is endearing at this time of year or any other, but a lot of learning and preparation needs to take place first. Today we will visit with Jennifer Kornberger, an expert in animal care and shelter administration, to learn how families can be prepared to bring a pet into the home. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer Kornberger. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you here today. You have an expertise and passion as an animal lover, but more importantly, as an expert in animal care and needs. Jennifer, tell us a little bit more about you. My background in animal care specifically has included time spent with veterinary assisting. I've also worked as a wildlife rehabber as a pet shelter, a nonprofit rescue worker, and then I've done some community education as well. Today, I've invited you to talk about pets and the learning that needs to take place before you take the plunge and bring a pet home to your child. Jennifer, talk to me about some of these points. What's the most important thing to begin to think about when considering a pet for your family? I think that that would be twofold. I will start with saying, I think the first thing you need to think about is the cost of the animal not necessarily when the animal's just well, but the cost of an animal, should an animal have a chronic illness develop or a sudden accident. Looking at veterinary costs in those terms, because we shouldn't assume something like that will never happen, kind of gives family an idea of, could my budget absorb an incident like that? The second thing that I would recommend people consider just right out of the gate are children in the household, as well as other pets that might be there before you bring in an animal. So those would be two things that I would say are the first things you should absolutely consider. They're not cheap. Even purchasing food for the animal is something that has to fit in the budget. And it happens reoccurring all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Feeding never stops. (laughs) That's right. A pet can cause some damage along the way, little repairs and a few things like that too. As much as we love them, there are these important things. How about also the company? You mentioned children being in the home. Or the interaction with adults, is he going to be alone all day? Is he going to have people around him all day? Is that something to consider as well? It is, absolutely. Not just in the type of pet you might want for your home, whether that be a goldfish or a cat or a dog. They all have different needs. But also the needs of your household, what's realistic for you. So you want that to line up. Where like a goldfish may only need to see you once a day when you put the little crumbs in the water. A cat may need to see you two to three times a day and have some play interaction as well as feeding and the cleaning of the litter boxes. A dog may need a lot more in terms of training and play and dog walks. And of course, then you have to also factor in if you're going to choose a dog, the breed of the dog and the specific needs of that breed, because some breeds are working high energy breeds who If you don't give them something to do, they will find something to do and you may not like it. (laughs) I understand that that can be a real problem right now. During the pandemic, we saw a mass adoption effort and the shelters were busy and you were in that space during that time, correct? Yes, I was. I adopted out a lot of cats from one of our local organizations. It seemed like I was always doing home visits, you know, several a week to place little kitties into homes. When the pandemic lessened and people returned to work, we found that that could be problematic for those sweet animals. Yes. And actually, where I am, our shelter system is under incredible strain right now. 
to the point where some of the shelters have had stop intake orders, where it's dangerous to bring more animals onto the premises because of how full they are. Some could only take animals under an emergency situation, like motherless kittens could come if they were under a certain age because they couldn't survive on their own. And the needs for fosters have really gone way up to try to stem some of that because, you know, you can't just keep bringing animals into a shelter space without proper spacing, sanitation, in-kind donations coming in to feed the animals. And of course, veterinary medicine factors into shelter environments as well. I've heard some sad stories for some of these pets who no longer have people at home to care for them. And there's some real challenges for our local shelters. Another thing that is very important is looking at your situation. If your situation is stable, quick story, there's a young college girl who just wanted a kitten in the worst way. Parents sent her off to school and the first thing she did after she left the home was to buy a cat. It hasn't worked out well for her. <laughs> what are some other things like that that we need to consider before we bring a pet into our life? A good example in the terms of the story you just shared is how long you're going to be living in the space you're living in and what are the pet policies? So if you're not a homeowner and you don't own your home where you can kind of dictate a lot of that, you will want to check with as a renter, you will want to check with your landlord to see if that's even allowed. And you will also want to consider how long the lease is on your space and do you have plans for when that lease ends? So in terms of stability, there's a little bit of long-term think that needs to go on there. And I would recommend people think in terms of one to five years at a stretch. Do I know where I'm going to be a year from now? Or can I even project what my living style may be five years from now? I think asking anyone to project further than that is very, very difficult, no matter how stable your situation is, because as we've all learned, life can be surprising. How important is it to train? a dog, or I guess uh, dogs are primarily the ones I would think about in this kind of circumstance. How important is it? It's very important. I think it depends on the dog you're getting. If you are adopting an older dog, training may not be as important for you. Adopting senior animals from a shelter can have a lot of benefits over puppies and kittens. Number one, training. You probably won't have to do a lot of it. That animal is probably going to come pre-trained that animal won't have the same high energy needs, which means walks will be shorter, play sessions will be shorter, and the animal will have more natural downtime. So they can make a better study buddy or a better work partner for the people in the household simply because they're more willing to be chill. So I do recommend a lot of times for first time pet parents to go ahead and consider that older dog or cat. They're just not going to have that same high intensity need for stimulation and they're not going to have as many training needs as well. If you're thinking about adding a pet to your home, please consider adopting a pet as opposed to shopping for a pet. There are plenty of animals in need. Jennifer, how long does it take the adjustment period when you bring a new or a little older animal into the home? That can vary. Animals have unique temperaments, so they're kind of like people. We can kind of generalize a little bit, just like you can generalize with the average five-year-old may have these milestones of development, but as we know, every child is different. The same can be said with pets. I think a good rule of thumb is about a month. While the first 24 to 48 hours are the most intense for that animal, most major changes in life take everyone, the people involved in the situation and the animal, about a month to really get into a nice harmonious rhythm with each other. 
I've also noticed that in new workspaces as well. It takes everyone about a month to adjust to a new cadence. If you have little ones at home, I would say five and under. I would say the amount of time you need to spend monitoring child and pet interactions, definitely give it at least a solid four weeks. But really, pets and children should never be left unsupervised together. Very wise counsel. I appreciate that. Now, there's all kinds of pets, as you mentioned. I've been in a home where there are reptiles, uh, others that are birds, and there's some amazing things that can come. Hamster wheels. (laughs) I remember seeing (laughs) lots of hamster wheels in my youth. What does a family need to consider when considering a type of pet? I would say the activity level of the family. Do you want the pet to be outgoing and engaging and participating in activities and travel? If so, then I highly recommend a dog. A dog is probably going to adjust to that really, really well. That being said, I did have my own cat who was very outgoing. Cats can be leash trained. Some cats take to that incredibly well. And one of my cats, when she was tired on a leash, I could put her in a baby Bjorn and we could go into shops together and all that kind of stuff. So while a dog is usually more ideally suited for that, you shouldn't really rule out an extroverted cat. Some of them can be trained to that as well. If you're someone who has a very demanding lifestyle outside the home that has a lot of moving parts in the schedule, I would say that you might want to consider something like a bird or a fish, perhaps even a reptile, where one or two times a day is all they really need from you. But, you know, as long as that's happening, the exact time isn't quite as important. You have a bit more flex built in there than, you know, a dog that has to go out or a cat that really needs that consistent feeding time and that consistent I know my parent is going to be home at this time and we have our routines because for cats, routines are everything. And for dogs, especially that need outdoor times, that is also really critical. It sure is. Thank you for that. If we're looking at a pet because we we want to learn all about this as much as we can, what kind of preparations and considerations need to be made? Well, I think having a good veterinarian is also something to have immediately out of the gate. So if you've never had a pet before or it's been a few years and you don't have that good relationship with a family vet ready and able to go, you should set up a few appointments with local veterinarians and just have a consult. Talk to them about what your goals as a pet parent are. Have a candid conversation about what your budget is and talk to them about the animal you're considering adopting and what to expect in terms of the first vet visit Will there need to be a spay or neuter? What the first round of shots is going to cost? And also any tests that are normal for their age. I think that would be a great additional thing to research before you go and get the pet. How about getting the home ready for Mm. a pet? Yes, I think it depends on the animal. If it's something that is contained already, like a reptile or a bird or a fish, that is less of a situation to get the home ready. Although with some reptiles, safety, especially if you have little ones in the home, is a big deal. So making sure that both the reptile is safe and the child is safe so that a space, there's a separate room and the room itself is under parental control, that's important. If you're bringing home a new kitty, the rule is for every one cat, there should be a litter box plus one. So if you have one cat, you need two boxes. If you have two cats, you need three boxes and so on and so forth. You will want to make sure that there is something there for the cat to scratch that is approved. 
and not just vertical scratching up and down, but horizontal scratching, because some cats prefer up and down, some cats prefer down and over. So I recommend one of each and place them near furniture. You don't want the cat to scratch. We're saying no to the furniture and yes to the scratcher. And of course, whatever diet you're going to introduce, have at least one week's worth of diet and treats and a few toys. And it's really the same for dogs. If we're going to say no to chewing on the leg of the couch, we need to say yes to chewing on the squeaky toys. So wherever you're going to say no to something you don't want your new pet to do, you really should ask yourself, where am I saying yes? Because if you just say no, you breed a lot of frustration. What happens, Jennifer, if you're a clean fanatic and you get a pet that isn't? Well, first of all, I think you have to keep in mind that even people make messes. Pets are going to make messes. If you have a cat, no matter how nice your litter box, there's going to be a few little sprinkles of litter on the floor. You can even get those specialty mats. It doesn't matter. Trust me. Most of us swear by the little robot vacuums. So I highly recommend that if you really feel the need to have a super clean space 24-7, get a little robot Roomba vacuum and let that pitch in and give you a little bit of help. The other thing to consider as well, how decorative are your scratchers? Because for a lot of people, that's important. They don't want their cat furniture to look ugly. So in my house, I can be a little bit of an aesthetics person. My cat scratchers look like cactus. <laughs> and they have little feathers at the top that look like flowers and the cats are happy and I'm happy with the look and everybody can move on. With dog spaces, the aesthetic of the dog bed can sometimes matter, not just for the dog, that's going to be a comfort thing, but for the human looking at it. So I would say don't necessarily choose a dog bed that is cheap or serves the purpose if you're ultimately not going to be happy looking at it in your space. What happens if you find out that your child is allergic to the pet you've chosen? There are a few things that can be done. Number one, with consistent grooming, regular grooming, and regular house cleaning, the amount of dander comes down dramatically. So sometimes just reducing the dander can clear up the allergic response. So that would be my first recommendation. Is your pet on a weekly or bi-weekly grooming schedule in addition to the cleaning of the home space? Because that may solve it for you. The other thing you could consider is seeing an allergist. I haven't had to recommend anybody go to one in quite a while for this kind of situation, but I do know that allergists have a lot of solution available. So that's a very individualized thing that someone would want to talk to their healthcare provider about, but that would be my second recommendation. My third recommendation is if none of that's getting resolved, obviously we're not going to ask anybody to suffer. So rehoming the pet would be the third option. And that's a whole nother discussion. But if you know of someone who is responsible that you trust that is willing to take on the pet, that would obviously be the next best thing where the shelter system, especially with as overwhelmed as they are right now, would be the very last resort. Thank you. What kinds of things did you find while working with animals about how prepared a family was and the desired outcome? Yeah, that's a direct correlation. The more prepared you are, the better your outcome is going to be. The more effort you put into something, the better results you're going to get that are closer to what you were hoping to achieve. And I don't think that's just with pets. I think that's probably just with life. So if you do your due diligence where 
You research the pet that you think you are interested in adopting through a local shelter or a rescue. You go and meet the pet. You have a discussion with the shelter personnel about not only the temperament of the pet, but any specific dietary needs or medical or behavioral background. You prepare your home space with what they need ahead of time. Pet food dishes, toys, scratchers, boxes, beds, whatever that may be. And then you also have a veterinarian of your own ready to go to meet your pet for the first time and get everything situated for you. The smoother the outcome you're going to have, the better transitional period you're going to have. And I think it's important to remember as we contemplate the holiday season or birthdays that are coming up, when you give a pet as a gift, whether you mean to or not, sometimes you send the message that the pet is an object, that the pet is just property. Unlike a pair of boots or some socks or a book or whatever that maybe you don't like that you take back to the store, your boots or your socks or the book don't feel fear and they don't feel trauma and they don't feel loss. But a pet does. We are their family as much as they are ours. When we take them back to the shelter, it really should serve as a last resort option not an option of convenience because that animal will feel those things. That's a beautiful transition into some of the things that I want to ask you, the benefits of having animals around. And so when a family is well-prepared and you said, obviously the, the homework has to be done and the preparation made and there is a life that you're dealing with, the mental health and the bonding that takes place is sometimes a beautiful thing. The first thing that I notice is there is a feeling of support, not just from the animal towards you, because obviously once they know you as their person, there is a love there. Absolutely. And you feel that. But also it is good, I think, for not only our mental health, but as an extension for our physical health to feel that we're supporting someone else. I think it gives us a strong sense of connection that we as people need in our lives, whether that's from person to person or person to pet. When you feel like you are helping someone, that actually gives you sometimes the help you need. It helps you out of your headspace sometimes, or it lets you know you're having an impact, that you matter, and that you have the capacity to open yourself to care. Thank you, Jennifer. Pets can alleviate stress. They can improve our moods. My grandchildren respond to this dog that they got a year ago, and he makes them feel loved, and they love him in return. Pets elevate our mood, reduce loneliness, and improve our well-being. I think it's interesting that some are even trained to detect our health. There's some amazing things that they can give us in return, and there's nothing sweeter than curling up with a little soft, warm, fuzzy thing and... <laughs> and reading a good book. <laughs> Absolutely. And at the end of a long, hard day, whether that day is spent as a student in school or as a working adult, to come home and know that that familiar face is waiting for you and that you're going to share time together. And it can be very reassuring. And I know we talk in terms a lot of times of mental health, but it can be easy to forget that really mental health is, is health. Mental health affects physical health. So when you have those benefits, those mental health benefits, you see physical health benefits too, like lowered blood pressure, lowered heart rate, a lot of times stress responses like ticks and rashes, other things that happen to the body when you're under a lot of stress. The mental health benefits that come from having the pet around and lowering those levels actually have 
a reduced inflammatory response in the body. You can actually physically benefit from the presence of a pet in the home. Let's talk about some takeaways from today. Are pets good gifts? I'm going to, not that I don't want everybody to have a pet. I really do. I want animals out of shelter just as much as anybody. So I don't want to say a hard no. I think it depends. If you've done your homework and you are all set and you have given a very clear message to the person, the child or the partner that you are giving that pet to, that this is a member of the family we're committing to, then I think, yes, that it can be okay. But I think just giving a pet as a gift is a major problem. And I see the problem crop up most actually in wildlife where people give bunnies and chicks around the Easter season or ducks, baby ducks, to their children who then when these animals grow up, they don't want them. Wildlife centers get overwhelmed with domestic bunnies and chicks that don't really belong at the wildlife center, but don't really have a clear space to go to that can't stay in the home. So should an animal be a gift? A pet can be if you've done that proper setup, but I would caution against it if you aren't ready to commit to that. Perfect. Number two, takeaway from today, preparation is vital. And the first things that we need to consider when we prepare for a pet are what? Budgeting, not only for the healthy animal, but should the animal get sick or injured, whether or not there are children in the household and is the pet appropriate for the ages of the children. And three, do you have a veterinarian ready to care for that pet? Excellent. Another takeaway is some of the mental health benefits. Absolutely. Lowered stress levels. A pet can also boost mood. A pet can also encourage you to get motivated. Let's go outside and do that walk where you might not do it (laughs) if your dog wasn't looking at you like, hey, come on, it's walk time. So definitely. And also the physical health benefits that can come from reduced stress, reduced depression, increased motivation, boosted mood, like lowered heart rate, lowered blood pressure, better performing immune system. These are great takeaways, Jennifer. In that gift season that is upon us, I hope that families will be prepared and think carefully. I will include today in our podcast notes some websites that are friendly to go and get some more resources. Jennifer, thank you for sharing your expertise today. We're just grateful to have you. Oh, thank you, Heidi. Thank you for listening to K-12 On Learning, sponsored by Stride. To learn more about online public schools powered by Stride K-12, Stride Career Prep programs that foster lifelong learning, or any of the private school or individual course offerings, please go to stridelearning.com or k12.com. Special thanks to Tree K Studios for providing the music for us. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and feel free to leave us a good review. We hope you'll join us next time for K-12 on learning.